When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome again to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. And this is Neil Dunworth, your host. Today, I am joined again by somebody who you guys absolutely loved last week. And apology, I must apologize to him. I didn't give him any time to speak. I was so excited to speak to him myself. Uh, I'm joined by the wonderful Stephen. You might know him as at Villa Analytics on Twitter. And, you know, he discussed some really, really good stuff about Johan Lang last week. And I was just so excited. It was like, you know, I, I couldn't stop talking uh, but this time i promise i will stop talking because Stephen is back uh, how are you doing today Stephen? i'm doing very well thank you neil excellent excellent and today Stephen is going to give us a rundown of the world of analytics what um i suppose what advanced analytics look like what advanced analytics he looks for to see if he's looking at uh, when he's judging players or when he's uh, what teams would look at when they're judging players and the amount of advanced analytics that are out there it's, it's quite technical, but Stephen is going to explain to us what they mean, you know, and, and the reasonings behind them and so on. But uh, yeah, so as I say, Stephen, what are the number one uh, analytic types or the, the analytic metrics, I suppose, that you would look for when you are looking to judge a player as such? Say uh, naturally, with attacking players, you're looking at expected goals, expected assists as the most developed metrics that we've got. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily fair to put it down to one or two main metrics because it's actually, for me at least, looking at as many different numbers as you can to use the numbers to give you an idea of what type of player they are and how good they are, obviously, that's what they're for, rather than necessarily just one or two statistics. Mm-hmm. And what you mentioned there was expected assistance, expected goals. 
obviously, I suppose a lot of the analytics so that you that you would see with with uh, footballers at the moment is it heavily weighted towards the attacking side of things, or are there other kind of uh, statistics we could look at for more defensive players? Um, I definitely say it's very, very heavily weighted towards the attacking side of the game. Obviously, defensive metrics are very limited in the sense that a tackle or an interception isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, you know, the famous quote from Paolo Maldini, if I have to make a tackle, I've already made a mistake. That reigns very true with <laughs> defenders like Virgil van Dijk, who doesn't have the most tackles in the league, but you wouldn't say he's, I mean, pretty much anyone would argue he's the best defender in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the forward side of things, a goal is a good thing. <laughs> you know, that that's definitely not a mistake. So I'd say that's probably the core reason for it swaying very much in favour of the attacking side. And would it potentially be something as well, the fact that it's so difficult to score a goal in, in soccer and football? You know, it is so difficult to score a goal there that uh, you could get lucky as a defender. Is that kind of something that, that, that you would say would be taken into account that a defender could get lucky and that the striker could, or the, the attacking midfielder or whatever, could miscontrol a ball and then it could make it easier for him to tackle it? Would that be something as well that you would think might be taken into account? Yeah, naturally that's going to sway the defensive side, but that's also going to have an impact on the attacking side too. You know, you could hit mm-hmm. an absolute key roller and Kepa or Rita Balaga could spill it through his legs. Yeah. Um, so mistakes do happen on both sides. Uh, expected goals and expected assists were something that you mentioned there. Um, could you explain a small bit more about those, maybe about what kind of effect they would have when you're looking at those numbers, you know, how those numbers are calculated and, and what, come, what kind of goes into trying to, to trying to make those numbers a valid metric to judge a player on? The big thing about expected stats for me are that they add context. Obviously, a shot from 30 yards out isn't as likely to go in as a tap-in from a yard out into an open net. And the same applies for assists. If you pass to someone who is 30, 40 yards out, you're not as likely to get an assist as you are cutting it back to someone for the open goal. And that's why they are a much better indicator of performance than necessarily actual goals and assists, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with assists. Because if you are creating the same number of chances as someone else in a different team, you might have Joe Linton up front and they might have Sergio Aguero. And (laughs) actual assists can be skewed massively by having players that can shoot, by getting a bit lucky. by world-class players that will influence your numbers. Whereas expected assists, it doesn't matter who you're creating the chance for. If you create the same chance, you get the same reward for it. Interesting. Interesting. So essentially what you're saying is that not all goals, like if you look at the normal scores of this player got this many goals and this player got this many assists per season, that's a false narrative because not all goals and not all assists carry the same weighting when like depending on the difficulty of the goals like you could be a great goal scorer or a scorer of great goals so you know this gives you a better kind of uh, a better leveling point to know that yes this guy actually shouldn't have created a lot of assists but he did that's how good he was is that is that kind of what you're saying um yeah so sort of obviously uh, there's an uh, there's a sense of randomness 
that influences whether they underperform or overperform or hit what you'd expect them to score. Obviously, when you look at goalkeeper mistakes, long shots that just happen to fly into the top corner. Um, but it, it's very difficult at times to know whether the over or underperformance is entirely based off randomness or is based off a lack of finishing ability or something along those lines. But the thing that you tend to see players generally, um, almost every player will end up the following season moving closer to their expected goals or expected assists from the previous season. It's yeah. not, you wouldn't expect to see a player consistently over or underperform, um, apart from very extreme circumstances. Uh, but the expected goals and assists give you a better indicator of where they might be in the future rather than where they are now. Mm -hmm. That does make sense. That makes sense. So, how is about we do this? Aston Villa have been linked with quite a few players, and there's definitely one that's getting a lot of traction, I think, at the moment in Ollie Watkins. And we know mm -hmm. that he has obviously transitioned in different positions and playing in a league lower. Would you be able to give us a snapshot of maybe what the expected goals and expected assists for Ollie Watkins are and maybe what they mean in the context of, of what expected goals and expected assists are? All right. So obviously Watkins is primarily a goal scorer. Um, so I, I saw a few days ago something going round about him having 36 expected goals on him for goals model. Um, and of course he scored 26 goals this season um, and depending on what model you look at because some are different obviously it's not a perfected metric because every shot is different so depending on what different aspects of the shot you give different weight you are going to get different numbers out of it mm -hmm. um, so most of the models are a little bit lower than 36 but what you will find with all models is that when you look at expected goals per shot, so the average expected goals of all of his shots, it is the highest in the league in any model um, because Watkins goes for high-quality chances, easy finishes. Every single goal he scored this season was from inside the box because he's, he's not a, a long-shot taker. He goes, he uses his movement to get into positions where he can take really high quality chances. So I saw a lot of people when that uh, fact went round about 36 expected goals, when he'd only scored 10 fewer than that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were reacting to that saying, oh, he can't finish. You know, that's a, an issue with his finishing. But actually, for me, the fact that he's underperforming is a real positive thing because that's showing that, yes, he should have scored more goals than he did, but he still scored that many goals, even while not scoring as many as he should have. And that shows, that really highlights how good his movement is to get so many good chances, to have the chance to score 36 goals, even if he didn't score those chances this season, that doesn't mean he's not going to score them next season. 
that's really good take on it. And that's that's a that's kind of a. It's a, I've got to be honest with you, Stephen. That's kind of an out there take, and I think a lot of people will. will I can understand why you have it, and I kind you've kind of convinced me. Well, you actually have convinced me uh, <laughs> as to the reason for it. But a lot of people are still going to be no facts are facts, numbers are numbers, and stuff like that. And I suppose it brings you back to the very start of the conversation when you said that having more data and having more numbers help you to make your decision. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose the next thing I would look at after you said there that he should have scored thirty six, but he scored twenty six. I think the next thing I'd look at and go, historically, how many players have ever scored 36 goals in the championship? That's <laughs> yeah. probably what I would look at. And then I would say, right, there's probably only two or three players. I can't imagine there's a lot of players have ever scored 36 goals in the championship. So is it a, so the XG, yes, there might have been uh, extenuating circumstances. And I suppose the biggest one is the fact that he has moved from the right wing or the left wing uh, from being a winger, essentially, into the more central role. Is there any kind of correlation, do you think, in that, the fact that he's just moved positions this year in, that gives you hope for Ollie Watkins looking at the statistics as well? Or is it more or less the same that he's able to get into those positions? Um, yeah, for sure. I think the fact that he's only just become a centre forward means he's naturally probably not going to be as, as clinical as the typical you know, out-and-out centre forward who's played there their whole life. But the thing for me that impresses me so much is his movement, the fact that he's been playing up front for one season mm-hmm. and he is getting better chances than anybody else in the league. Obviously, he had fantastic players around him inside Ben Rama and Brian and Bumo to name a couple. But that's not, it's not normal for a player with any creators to get that many chances. Like, Patrick Bamford is being a top championship centre forward for a number of years, whatever your opinion of him may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was playing in the in a lead side and he wasn't getting as many expected goals as uh, Ollie Watkins and he didn't score as many goals. Obviously, he didn't play as many minutes, but he had the likes of Pablo Hernandez around him. It's not like Ollie Watkins was playing with the best players in the world and everyone else was playing with children. He was on a fairly level playing field with the other top centre forwards and getting as we're getting more chances than any of the others. And the fact that he can do that after one season in centre forward, you gotta think like after two or three or four, when he starts to because he, he will improve naturally in his understanding of the role in his movement mm-hmm. in the position, it's actually how good could he become? With great, yeah, with greater focus on him playing in that centre forward role. Exactly. I, I found an answer to my previous question about has a player ever scored thirty six goals in the championship, and the the answer is equivocally no. <laughs> the What's answer the, uh, record. The record is Glenn Murray in the two thousand and twelve two thousand thirteen season for Crystal Palace scored thirty goals. That's the most ever scored by a player in the championship. And mm. Ali Watkins' season that he's just had finishes just one behind, behind Alexander Mitrovic uh, for Fulham, who's played up front all his life and is a nasty bit of business. But it finishes... It's the ninth highest ever scorer in the championship <laughs> in his first year playing centre-forward. Mm. I'd like to take... Like Tammy Abraham, he scored, he scored more, the same amount of goals as Tammy Abraham did last year for Aston Villa in the championship, yet we all want Tammy mm. back. Mm. So it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting, yeah. yeah. And, and 
you know, the fact that XG comes up with, with uh, 36 goals, which should have been his expected goal target. Um, that is why, you know, you look at it and you go, yeah, okay, there, like there's very few players in this world that would score 36 goals in any league, like Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski. That's mm. it. That's it. Yeah. There's no there's no one scoring any more goals than that, you know. So that's a that's a really interesting piece that you brought up there on, on Ollie Watkins. Where does Ollie Watkins fit in from an assist point of view? So is he primarily just trying to change himself into a fox in the box, or has he still contributed with the assist? Because I remember looking at the at the semi-final, I suppose, when Brentford uh were really flying in that semi-final and he was playing wide right and awful lot wide left and he was cutting in almost Thierry Henry-esque. Now I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Thierry Henry. I know Ollie Watkins says he is his favourite ever footballer of all time. Hopefully we get an <laughs> a Thierry Henry out of Ollie Watkins. But what's he like from an assists point of view? I know we focused on his goals, but what way were his assists looking last year? Um well in terms of actual assists, he he only got a couple. Uh, but when you do look at expected assists, he got more than three times more expected assists than actual. Um, and according to this model, 6.43 over the course of the season, which is the most of any sense forward in the championship. And okay. I think that, that really highlights the fact that he's not just the fox-in-the-box player. And a lot of that comes from the fact that he has been a right winger. He has got those skills creatively dropping off and linking play. You know, he's got the most key passes of any centre forward in the championship, the most touches well, in the box because he really, really not not just moves into the nice goal scoring positions, but he is happy to drop off play in front of the defence and actually create for his wingers, or even put his wingers into a position where they can create a chance for him. Yeah. And that's, I suppose that's because he knows the position. He's not going to just give them any old ball if he's laying the ball off or if he's cushioning a pass to them. He's going to say, right, I can give it to you there, but I'm not going to get the ball back here. So if I give it to you in this position and then I run into this. So there's, there's kind of an almost a shared knowledge of being, of being able to mm-hmm. play those two positions. And you could say, and I'm going to bring it back to Thierry Henry. And I know people, I'm going to get messages saying, oh my God, look at this guy. He's overly optimistic talking about Thierry Henry. But like Thierry Henry was a winger converted to striker at the age of 22, 23. Ali Watkins is 24, winger, 23 converted winger to striker. But I think, that, I think it's important to have that knowledge to be able to put the ball in places where wingers want it as well because, um, you know, that makes their job easier too. And, and that, that mm. kind of forms the kind of, you talk about the telekinesis or you talk about maybe a telepathic bond between, um, you know, a provider and scorer. I think that's really important. It's important that you mentioned that as well, that he did have the highest key passes and the, the highest um, assi- expected assists of all uh, of all the, player- the strikers in the championship. That is interesting. Mm. A- any other kind of stats that jump out about Ollie Watkins um, that, that might be worth, that the guys might want to know that listen to the podcast? To be honest, it's more or less anything. Um, <laughs> pretty much any stat that exists, Ollie Watkins is top. Um, when it comes to just centre forwards in the championship, um, because f- for me, um, I am a big, big fan of Ollie Watkins. But his game, I haven't seen anyone in the championship with such a rounded, or at least centre forwards um, with such a well-rounded game. And a big part of that does come from the fact that he was a winger converted into a striker. But there aren't many players who can 
head the ball, dribble the ball, pass the ball, and shoot as well as Ollie Watkins can, or there haven't been, for me, any players with such a rounded skill set to play in the championship. Um, and that's why I, I feel that he could so easily settle into the Premier League because he has it all. Um, and I think we'd be fooled not to wrap it up, to be honest. Uh, it'd be criminal if we don't end up signing him. Looking at uh, Mitrovic's numbers, 25.5 expected goals isn't as many. Uh, yes, he scored one more, but he is a natural centre forward. You are going to expect him to be a good finisher, of course, but he's, his movement in the box is not as dynamic. It's not as necessarily intelligent than Ollie Watkins because he isn't getting as many chances in high-quality chances. Uh, his expected assists as well is not even close to Watkins. Any real link at play stat isn't the same as Watkins. And really the only areas he edges him is he wins a couple more aerial duels than Ollie Watkins, who is not bad in the air, but obviously Mitrovic is a, more of a presence uh, from the air. And Mitrovic got one more goal. Uh, mm. Obviously Mitrovic has more Premier League experience. Ollie Watkins doesn't have any. Uh, but Ollie Watkins is performed better this season and is a year younger. Um, so to me, there's nothing that would really stand out me to say Mitrovic is a better player than Watkins, certainly based on the last season alone when they've both been in the same league in centre-forward in similar sides. Um, you know, Watkins, a lot of people will have watched the playoff final and gone, yeah, he's got a good link at play, but he didn't really get any chances. He's not all that as a centre-forward. Um, but he did it over the course of the season. There's, you know, there's no denying of that. The numbers are there. They can tell you Ollie Watkins is far and away the most well-rounded player in the, or centre-forward in the league, I should say, and had the most expected goals, had the most high-quality chances, and there's nothing that I see in the numbers that say to me, Ollie Watkins can't do it, but Mitrovic can. Very interesting because I think that, you know, we talk about numbers and you talk about uh, transfer costs and fees for players and so on. Um, I don't think anybody would have a singular problem with paying 20 million for Alexandra Mitrovic. You've seen it in Twitter. People would say, I'd prefer to spend at Mitrovic. He's playing in the Premier League for a season. Didn't really light up the Premier League either, you know, when he was there with Newcastle. He's a bit of a nasty character. He, you know, tendency to get a red card or two every year and, you know, mm. get, get referees' backs up and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, as you say, he's only one more goal than him last year. And I think no one would have a problem with spending 18, 19, 20 million for Alexander Mitrovic. Now, obviously, we're not going to get him for that. And I know that Fulham have been promoted. So, but it's a comparison about two players of equal stature, of equal, um, of, with equal goals scored during the course of the year. And it's doing a comparison about maybe what the expectancy of them was and maybe what it, prog- what it translates to in the future. And as you mentioned, that bodes well for Ali Watkins, for sure. So when people look at the money that has been spent on Ali Watkins and they go, not worth it, I wouldn't spend 18 million on Ali Watkins. Well, then why maybe would people spend 18 million on Mitrovic if he became available? And, you know, mm. maybe not. Is So it's, it's, it's a nice comparison to make, I think, between the two of them. And another thing to mention as well is that a number of Mitrovic's goals come from the penalty spot. 
last season, Mitrovic scored five of his goals from the penalty spot. Uh, Watkins was um, none. Mm-hmm. So from from open play situations, Watkins has got more goals than Mitrovic, mm-hmm. which, you know, and anyone can score a penalty. Watkins didn't take them. Mitrovic did. Which is essentially what you want, what we as an Aston Villa team would want our players to do because we've got free kick takers. There's, I, I don't particularly like to see strikers standing over free kicks, especially if they're known as a fox in the box because if the ball comes back off the goalkeeper or comes off the post, you want your instinctual players in there. Like, no one's going to stand over a ball and think that Conor Horan or, or, or Jack isn't going to take that free kick or even Douglas Louise. You know, we've got free kick takers. We've got penalty takers. So, you know. I'd like to, I'd prefer to have somebody who would put it in the box when it's cut back from Matt Target or when a slide rule pass is made from, uh, from Jack or when uh, Freddie Gilbert bombs one in from 30 yards out and it's a nice whip, cra- whip cross. I'd like to see my striker get on the end of them there and free kicks and penalties are, are, can, be, can, be an over, can over-inflate somebody's statistic bar a small bit too much as you've just seen there with Mitrovic. That exactly. Interesting. That's interesting. Um. Ollie Watkins, did, did he, how many games did he play as a striker? Was it the full season? Did he play any games out in the um, world? Is there any statistical analysis? Yeah, I'll, yeah, so in the first few games of the season, he was, uh, and throughout the whole season, really, he would, towards the end of games, sometimes be shifted out to the right wing, but he started for the whole season um, in centre forward. Excellent, excellent. So I suppose really looking at the numbers, Taking the the traditional scouting method out of it, there is nothing in the database, there's nothing in the spreadsheets that would lead to believe that Ollie Watkins wasn't the most productive striker uh, or forward player within the, the championship last year. So when you take that into account, um, you know, that's, that's a nice little barometer as to how he could perform within the Premier League. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Anyway, that, that puts me in very good form because... There's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of snowball effects, uh, a lot of momentum growing behind Ali Watkins, Aston Villa. Just looking at it there now, that uh, you know, the Rob Dorsett has said that it's the deans that there's mutual uh, uh, kind of a mutual the feelings mutual between both club and player, and between between Dean Smith and player that they both have a very good relationship. So hopefully we we start to see some movement in that in the next few days because as you mentioned the numbers are very 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 interesting and not just interesting they're very very promising when you look at them and you scrutinize them against other top caliber players from that league as well and the top caliber leagues as i say like Mitrovic that have the people would would be interested in in signing and have good international experience as well so that's uh that's very very comforting to hear and and you know it's it's amazing the way that you can look at those numbers but I would have looked at the XG and XA numbers before, but the way that you've explained it to me there, Stephen, was really good because I might have looked at it and said, well, I'm looking for a player who scores as many goals or score, has as many assists as he probably should have. Um, but when you explain it as to see, say that, well, somebody who has maybe less goals than they should have scored, that's not exactly a negative point, especially in Ali Watkins' uh, situation, considering that he's just been a striker for one year. So that was really, really informative, um, the way that you would look at those numbers and maybe have a different take on those numbers. So that is, uh, And that's what it's all about, I suppose. The more data that you have, the more informed a decision you can make when trying to uh, scout players and, and maybe sign players, you know, as, as and when the time comes. 
listen, Steve, thank you so much for popping on. As I say, you're more than welcome. Come back anytime. The area of analytics is something that I want to kind of feature within this podcast because it's something that I'm really, really interested in. And I think it is superbly beneficial. You know, as Josh, Nor- Nor- as Josh Norris mentioned on the last podcast, um, too long has scouting been in a position of the eye in the sky don't lie. So if you don't get a scout's eyes and a scout's eyewitness report on a player, that it doesn't re- everything else is immaterial. I think that day is gone or it's going, and especially around around Villa Park that it seems to be um being married with the spreadsheet uh scouting as well, which is very, very good to see because as you said, the numbers can tell you an awful lot more or they can tell you something specific about a player. And and you mentioned it before as well that it'll help you to narrow down your scouting pool so that you don't waste time scouting players that may never be beneficial to you whatsoever. So um, thank you so much for that. And as I say, uh, I will be calling on your expertise quite a lot, I think, over this transfer window as, as and when uh, names get mentioned. Um, so if anybody isn't following him, and I, always, I feel almost kind of like I'm patronizing at this stage because, you know, there's tons and tons of people following you. But if there isn't anybody that's listening to this podcast that isn't following at Villa, Villa Analytics, please do so. You know, his posts will make you smarter. To the uh, to the statistics and the numbers that are uh, incorporated uh, within the game and within each player's uh, I suppose profile as and when we get linked with them, I'm sure that there will be tons and tons of stuff up there. So thank you very much, Stephen, for popping on. Um, and that's at, at Villa Analytics. If anybody wants to follow him, you can follow us here on the pod at Love McGrath Pod as well. Thank you so much for everybody for listening to the podcast over the last uh, last three or four weeks. Have been absolutely epic. You know, you it's been up and down and staying staying up in the in the league and even from the Man United three 0 loss. It's just been hectic stuff. You know, it's been podcast after podcast but bloody we love it here it's, it's been fantastic and I hope you guys are enjoying the content and I hope you guys are enjoying this stuff that we're bringing you in the off season because uh, it's really enjoyable for us to put put it together as well uh, so if you know of anybody who maybe doesn't know about the podcast uh, please tell them you know it's, word of mouth is the best spreader as well so like as I say if anybody can uh, if you guys can do us a little solid there maybe if you can leave us a five star uh, rating on, on Apple uh, podcast or even on Spotify we'd really appreciate that as well helps out when people go looking for Aston Villa podcasts. So that that's small thing that you guys could do that would really, really help us out. But uh, thank you so much for all the interaction. And I know sometimes I'll put up some crazy, uh, crazy posts, or I know sometimes I get Richard O'Kelly's name wrong and call him Richard O'Keefe because I've got a mate whose name is Richard O'Keefe. Uh, but thanks a million guys for bearing with me and those little mishaps that, uh, <laughs> that can happen sometimes. Um, as I say, it is not intentional, but sometimes I get excited and my mind runs away from me and I do get Richard O'Keefe. Kelly and Richard O'Keefe mixed up. But um, as I said, thank you very much to everybody for listening. Get on following Stephen on at Villa Analytics. Get on following the podcast here on at, uh, at Love McGrath Pod. And all that's really left to say, guys, is up the villa.
Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.